Where are we going today, Mr. Peabody? Why don't you take a picture? It'll last longer. By the way, ladies and gentlemen, as always, this stuff in lieu of actual entertainment. All righty then. Hello and welcome back. This is Storytime and I am Gamer Dude. Glad to have you with us for some more stories this week. This week, we're going to Disney World. That catchphrase used to be a big phrase at the end of every sporting event. They would highlight the MVP, the big athlete, whoever did something big in the game, and the athlete would say, in response to the question, you've just won the MVP, what are you going to do now? And the response would be, I'm going to Disney World. That's because going to Disney World was such a thing, man. It was such a thing. Disney World does a great job of marketing itself, and when I was a kid, boy, I wanted to go to Disney World. Now, you've heard me talk about my family vacations many times. Disney World was not on the list of places to go. It wasn't even a consideration for my father at any time during my life. And as you've heard me talk, by the time I was a teenager, the destination, the only destination for vacation was Chincoteague, Virginia. That was it. That's all we did. But boy, the thought of going to Disney World was something that I had often. I mean, it wasn't a daily thing. I didn't yearn to go to Disney World. I wasn't dying to go to Disney World. I mean, in school, you always have friends who come back from summer vacation talking about the trip they had to Disney World. Or sometimes during spring break, a family would go to Florida. Florida was a mystical place to me. They'd go to Florida for spring break, and then they'd come back with tales of Disney World. So it was a place that I was aware of, and it was a place that I was interested in, because it sounded fantastic. Now, Disney World opened up when I was young. Yes, I am that old. I'm older than Disney World, so that should give you some frame of reference. But when I was a kid, the only thing that existed was Disneyland. And Disneyland is out in Anaheim, California. I knew that was never going to happen. At least in my little kid brain, California was another world. We were never getting to California. But then they opened up Disney World in Florida. And I can look at a map. Florida is much closer than California. I thought there might be a chance we could get there. But we didn't. But I grew up with Disney films. I liked Disney films. I liked the concept of Disney World. I liked the whole thought process of going to a place that was nothing but Disney. And the cool thing about Disney World is they had two parks. It was the Magic Kingdom and Epcot. There's four parks now, as you probably know. But when it opened up, there was only two. But that was one more than they had in Disneyland at the time. Disneyland, when it opened, was just the Magic Kingdom. They've expanded it in years since, but at the time, it was basically the Magic Kingdom. In Florida, they took the Magic Kingdom and duplicated it as part of Disney World, but then added another park called Epcot. And there was all kind of information about Epcot standing for the Experimental Prototype Community of Tomorrow. Nobody ever called it anything but Epcot, but it actually was supposed to mean something. And it was presented as a futuristic view of what the world could be like. I didn't know any of the details about Epcot. I just was fascinated by the whole concept. So I wanted to see it. And I wanted to see the Magic Kingdom. Because I'm a little kid at heart. Always have been. It wasn't until I was in my mid-twenties that I was able to plan a trip to Disney World. But it was one of those things that was just hanging on in my mind. It was just there. I just wanted to get there. Now, it just so happens that the girl that I was dating at the time, the on-again, off-again relationship I've talked about in previous episodes, well, we were on again, and it just so happens she was also a fan of Disney. And so we decided to plan a trip to Disney World together. I don't remember exactly when we went. I don't remember what year it was. But there was a period of time there where Epcot was always under construction, 
And I remember that our trip was after everything was constructed at Epcot. I mean, it's always under construction. But all of the pavilions that exist there now were built. Because they were building things all of the time at Epcot and adding things. Like, for instance, there was an exhibition at Epcot called The Living Sea, which in the early 80s didn't exist. It was finally completed sometime in the mid-80s, I want to say. All I know it was there when I was there. But before I get to the details about Epcot and Disney World and all that, I have to talk about the thought process of getting there, because it was such an important thing for me. This was one of the first grown-up vacations that I ever planned for myself. Before that, it was always on a vacation with mom and dad. They were paying the freight. They rented the place. They provided the food. And after I moved out of the house, I didn't really plan any vacations for myself. It was a long weekend at the beach. There weren't any really big trips. I didn't have the money for it. When you're just starting out, you don't have any money. We all know that. We've all just started out. So when my girlfriend and I made the decision to go, we knew we had to start saving. And so we did. We were going to split the costs, get our airfare, get our hotel room, get a -a rent-a-car. We were going to do the whole thing. Just two young adults. As I usually do, I started researching everything, and I discovered that going to Disney World in the summer was crazy. Not only because of the temperatures. Florida in the summer, kind of hot. But also because all the kids are out of school. So all of the families plan their vacations for the summertime. Now back then, remember, you couldn't go on the internet to research these things, so I would go to the library and I would get guidebooks. Back in the day, if you wanted to research something, you had to go to the library, pull out the reference books, or go buy a book at the bookstore. And they had all kind of guidebooks available. Frommers had a guidebook. Foders had a guidebook. And these guidebooks would break down your destination. It would tell you when to go, how to get there, where to stay, the best places, the worst places, things to do, things not to do. All set out in, at the time, what was handy book form. Nowadays, you just call up a web page. But back then, you wanted to buy a guidebook if you were going someplace, if you wanted to know what the place was about. And me, being me, I wanted to know what the place was about. So I would go to the library with my notebook, and I'd take notes. I'd go to the bookstore. I'd find the best price on a guidebook. And then I'd buy it and go through it and digest it and know everything about everything, about whatever the destination was that I was going to, in this case, Disney World. And I discovered the best time to go was either right after the kids went back to school, like mid to late September, all the way up through Thanksgiving. Don't go at Thanksgiving time. People go to Disney at Thanksgiving time. Or after Thanksgiving and about a week before Christmas, that first week of December area, that's a good time to go. In wintertime, it's after New Year's, but before spring break starts, usually early March. And then in the spring, after Easter and before summer vacation. So there's four windows when the crowds are not really bad. And of course, we had to pick one of those. Because what's the point of my researching if we don't do that? And I did inherit my dad's distaste for lines. So I wanted to try to go when we could actually enjoy the rides and the things to see and just not be overwhelmed with people. So we got all the planning out of the way. We got our plane tickets. We had our room reservations all set up. We couldn't afford to stay at Disney. There weren't very many Disney resorts back then. They've always had a couple of really fancy places like the Grand Floridian, which was never going to be in my budget, and to this day isn't in my budget. But back then you could find a lot of different hotel rooms, the Red Roof Inn, Motel 6, even the Holiday Inn had decent rates during the off-season. Like I remember driving down there in Florida in the mid-80s, and you could get a nice room for $19.95 a night. Imagine that, $19.95 a night at a Holiday Inn. That was amazing even back then. So we booked our plane tickets, we booked our room, we booked our rental car, and we hopped on a plane to Florida. Now this was a huge experience for me, because this was a vacation trip. I was going someplace different, without my parents. 
I mean, I'd flown to Ohio a couple of times, visited with friends after I graduated. But that was like a long weekend and like a 90-minute flight. I had friends picking me up. I wasn't doing anything exciting. Just hanging out. And then flying home. And this is back in the day of People Express, the airline that was super cheap, the spirit airline of its day. You could fly to Ohio for $20 one way. Yeah, they had really cheap fares, so it was nothing to fly to Ohio for a weekend. But there was something about flying to Florida. I'd always heard about it, never been there. So the combination of the mystery of Florida, which was mysterious to me, it was a tropical area. It was a place where it was always warm and sunny. Combining that with the thrill of going to Disney World, this was a trip I was excited about. And I remember getting to the airport and stepping outside and seeing a palm tree for the first time, a real live palm tree. We went in the springtime, so it was still cool up in New Jersey where we left. And stepping into the 85-degree humidity of Florida, after leaving the 50-degree temperatures of New Jersey, it was glorious. The sun was shining. You're driving along the highway and there's palm trees everywhere. It was unbelievable. I just remember being so excited. The whole prospect of the trip, seeing this new and amazing area for me, just being in Florida would have been enough. But then I knew we were going to Disney World. I'm going to talk about the parks, the two parks, Magic Kingdom and Epcot, in a little bit of detail because you might not have been and because it was so different when I was younger. Now, we were planning on spending four days there, two days for each park, because that's what I'd read in the guidebooks. If you want to take your time and enjoy it, spend two days at each park. I also read up about the park hopper passes. You could get day admission for each park or you could get what's called the park hopper pass. And that was one pass that would let you jump between the two parks. You'd have admission to both parks and you could go between them if you wanted to. And it was easy to get between Epcot and Magic Kingdom. And the other cool benefit about the Park Hopper Pass was that if you didn't use up all of the days, the days never expired. So if you bought a four-day Park Hopper Pass and you only used three days of it, you could keep that pass and come back any time and use that last day. And that policy applied to all of the passes. If you bought a seven-day park hopper pass, used only four days, you could hold the pass and use those three days any other time for the rest of your life, as long as you had the pass. That's the way Disney used to treat people. It wasn't all about bleeding you dry. It was about giving you an entertainment experience and respecting the fact that maybe you want to come back another time. So, of course, we got the park hopper passes. And we figured if we bought four days and only used three, we'd come back another time. Now, I'm going to tell you my conclusion first before I take you through the parks. My conclusion is I love Disney World. I loved it, and I've been back several times since then because I love it so much. There is something about the atmosphere there. There is something about the way they treat you. It literally does feel like the happiest place on earth. That's how they advertise themselves, and that's how they make it feel there although more so when I was younger than now. But there's something about going into the park. It's always happy. There's always background music playing. It's one of the weird little things that you may not notice, but they have speakers throughout the park. And there's always some subtle music playing, almost like you have background music to your life. And you can recognize familiar tunes, but it's just at such a level that you're not really aware of it unless you're specifically listening for it. But that kind of thing gives you an ambiance as you're walking through the park, no matter what you're doing. If you're standing in front of Cinderella's castle, if you're waiting in line for the Jungle Cruise ride, if you're strolling through Tomorrowland, there's always this ambiance. And the people 
Everybody who works there, always kind, always nice, always pleasant. Yeah, I've been to Disney World a lot because it's a very comfortable, happy, enjoyable place to be. I've been in the 80s, the 90s, the early 2000s, the late 2000s, but the first time still stays with me. Now, I'm going to talk about each of the parks, and I remember both of the parks pretty clearly from the 80s. And I want to talk about them just to give you a feel for them, but also to kind of preserve the memory of the way they were, because they're very different now. Things have changed. Like now, if you go to Epcot, there's the Test Drive ride, and there's the Mission to Mars ride. Those didn't exist when I was first at Disney World. Those are recent additions. And there was a different feel about Epcot. Not that it was worse, not that it was better, it was just different. So I'm just going to talk a little about both of the parks back in the day. The first thing to say about the parks is they're huge. Now even more so with four of them, but even back then, the Disney Corporation had bought up tons and tons of swampland in Florida. And the whole story behind that, by the way, is also fascinating. Very briefly, they created a bunch of shell corporations without the Disney name because they didn't want people to know they were buying up the land because they had this plan to make this huge park. But they knew if people knew that Disney was involved, the price would go up. So they bought all this swampland for cheap in order to have enough room to expand the park the way they wanted to. So the area of the parks, even back when they first opened it, is huge. There's a long entrance road and the parking lots are huge to accommodate all of the people. Now, prior to going to Disney World, I'd been to other parks before. I'd been to Cedar Point, I'd been to Six Flags, and we'll talk about those in another episode. But the parking lot at Disney World, we went to the Magic Kingdom first. And the parking lot, unbelievably huge. They have shuttle buses, all of the parking areas are named for Disney characters. So yeah, they're huge, but they have the ways to move people with these shuttle buses. Now, I didn't know it at the time, but there's several different ways to get into the park. And the entrance that we wound up picking takes you through a ticket gate, and then you board a ferry to go across to the Magic Kingdom. And I just remember the feeling of being on that ferry for the very first time, and you see the Magic Kingdom as you approach it. I wasn't quite giddy, but I was almost there. So the ferry boat arrives, and you climb out on a dock. And as you're going across this lagoon that they created as part of the Disney experience, you can see the Contemporary Hotel, one of the other Disney resorts. That's the one with a monorail running through it. When I was a kid, that was one of the things about Disney. You had the monorail. It was an amazing invention, this monorail that connected Epcot and Magic Kingdom and drove right through the Contemporary Hotel, part of the futuristic vision that Walt Disney had for this place. So the monorail and the ship both arrived at the main gate, and you would get off there, and you'd walk in through Main Street, USA. This Main Street, USA has nothing to do with any actual Main Street in America. It bears a resemblance to them, much like the town of Mayberry in the Andy Griffith show bears a resemblance to small-town America. It looks like the movies depict small-town USA. It's supposed to harken back to a simpler time. And all of the shops look like they're from the early 1900s, and you have the ice cream shop and the coffee shop and the camera shop, and they're all designed to look like they're from 1910 or 1920. And you walk down the main, main street, you see before you Cinderella's Castle. Now to me, a kid who grew up watching The Wonderful World of Disney on TV, you always saw Cinderella's Castle, and you saw it in the Disney movies. To see it for the first time in person... It was unbelievably exciting to me. It was one of those, I'm really here moments. It was amazing to me. And the castle is huge. It's just huge. You can walk right up to it. There's a road that goes through it. 
back then there was a restaurant in it. You couldn't sleep in it then. In recent years, they've added a place where people can actually book a room to stay in Cinderella's castle. But back then, that wasn't a thing. But Cinderella's castle, live and in person, was unbelievable to me. Now, one of the first things you do when you get there is you get a map of the park. And I had kind of an idea of what the park was like because of all the guidebooks that I'd read. But having my first Disney map in my hands, that was cool, man. That was awesome. And they break the park out into four or five different sections. And if you look at it, it's kind of set up like a clock. So you can circle the park. And each of the sections is a different land. So you can circle the park and hit every land as you go around. And according to my guidebooks, the best way to handle the parks is to go quickly to the back of the park and work your way forwards because most people start at the front of the park and work their way backwards. So you get fewer crowds if you go to the back of the park and come forwards. So, of course, that was my plan until you get there and then you're kind of consumed by what you see. And anybody who's watched my stream knows that I'm always attracted to shinies and Disney is nothing but shinies. Every pathway... Every building, every ride has shinies that attract your attention and you get thrown off whatever plan you have. So the Magic Kingdom is divided into technically four lands and then there's Main Street USA. So that's technically a fifth section. But if you want to go to the different lands, you've got Adventureland and then Frontierland and then Fantasyland and then Tomorrowland. Those are the big four lands with little subdivisions. Those were the main four when I was there the first time. And the first thing that we went on was the Jungle Cruise. It went exactly contrary to the plan to go to the back of the park because the Jungle Cruise is one of the first things you come to in Adventureland. But when we got there, the line wasn't long. The Jungle Cruise sounded cool. And so that's what we did. Now, not everybody loves the Jungle Cruise. I love the Jungle Cruise mostly because it's got that sarcastic, pun-driven humor all throughout the ride. It's not an exciting ride. You're on a ferry boat that goes through a swamp that Disney created with fake displays of safaris and animals, and it's very corny. And it's exactly the kind of thing that I love. So I loved the Jungle Cruise. The other thing that's there is the Pirates of the Caribbean. Now, you have to understand the Pirates of the Caribbean, or Caribbean if you prefer, was a ride long before it was a movie franchise. The movie franchise is inspired by the Disney ride. I was on the Pirates of the Caribbean ride long before Johnny Depp ever played Jack Sparrow. There was no Jack Sparrow in the Pirates of the Caribbean. It was a corny little ride, very much like the Jungle Cruise, through a movified version of what a pirate raid would look like. Because a pirate raid is really not a pleasant thing. But Disney got their hands on it and cleaned it up a little bit, but there was still a lot of stuff in those early versions of the Pirates of the Caribbean ride that was, shall we say, closer to R than PG-13. Pirates chasing wenches, people staggering around drunk. It was not a kid-friendly ride. It was not anti-kid, but there was a lot of adult stuff in the original Pirates of the Caribbean ride. They've cleaned it up considerably since then. But Magic Kingdom also had the only roller coasters at the time in the Disney park. They had the runaway train over in Frontierland, and they had Space Mountain over in Tomorrowland. And of course, they had hit those. Those were awesome rides. They also had the 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea submarine ride, which no longer exists. But you would actually go into a lagoon. This was over in Fantasyland. There was a lagoon in the back of Fantasyland, and it was part of the 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea display. That is an old Disney movie that probably most of you don't even know about. 
But years and years ago, they did that movie with Kirk Douglas in the lead. And so they recreated a piece of that where you would go underwater in this lagoon and ride in the submarine. The other things at Magic Kingdom that I loved, the Haunted Mansion, kind of a corny ride also, but really well done. The only place in the Disney parks where the people who work there don't smile. To this day, if you go to Disney, everybody's happy, everybody's smiling, everybody's greeting you, except for the people at the Haunted Mansion. They are not allowed to smile. It's a haunted house, for God's sakes. Who's smiling who works in a haunted house? But there was that, and then there was the Hall of Presidents. I had heard about and read about the Hall of Presidents. And what the Hall of Presidents is, is essentially a stage show with all of the presidents in animatronic form on a stage in Liberty Square at the Magic Kingdom. And me being the history nerd and presidential nerd and general all-around nerd that I am, I had to go see the Hall of Presidents. And of course, they talk about America. And it's a very patriotic, very inspiring little exhibition. And the presidents actually talk. Not all of them. And obviously not in their real voices. But the president's statues are animated so that you see a presentation with actual presidents actually talking. And to me, it was really cool. I loved it. We didn't do too many of what I consider the kiddie rides. We didn't do Dumbo's ride. We didn't do the teacups. We did do the Peter Pan ride. But those are the big ones that we did. And I really enjoyed the Magic Kingdom. But the thing that I was really looking forward to, aside from just being at Disney, was exploring Epcot. Because Epcot, to me, the whole concept seemed cool. Now, there's two parts to Epcot. The first part is the futuristic vision of the world that Walt Disney espoused when he was alive and that is kind of exemplified by what's at Epcot or what was at Epcot. It's changed over the years and it's changing again now. That part of the park is the front half of Epcot. The back half of Epcot is what's called the World Showcase. Now, the World Showcase had 10 what they called pavilions, which were focused on different parts of the world. And what Disney did with each of those pavilions is they hired people from those parts of the world to work in those areas. And in each of those sections is a reproduction of some part of that world, a city, the countryside, whatever, depending on the country, so that you could get a disney flavor of that country. Now, the World Showcase is set up around a lagoon, another one of those things that Disney created for atmosphere and ambiance. So if you think of the World Showcase as a clock... And you don't have to quote me on this. I'm just trying to give you a sense of it. First of all, the place is immense. But second of all, these pavilions, it would take you probably 20 minutes to start at about 7 o'clock on the clock and walk clockwise all the way around to 5 o'clock to get around the lagoon. And then each of the pavilions is off that pathway. And so they had representations of starting at 7 o'clock and working clockwise. Mexico, then China, then Germany then Italy, and then directly at noon was the American Adventure. And that was a slice of Americana that was different from the Main Street exhibition over in Magic Kingdom. Then continuing from noon, there was Japan, and then Morocco, and then France, and then the United Kingdom, and then Canada. And you could spend the entire day going through just the world pavilions. And each of the pavilions had different things. There was a little ride in Mexico that gave you a sense of what Mexico was like, along with a restaurant and some shopping. China had a movie about China. Germany had a German restaurant where you could relive an Oktoberfest. Italy, I remember they had a tower. I don't know what tower it was, but it just felt like you were in Italy. The American Adventure looked like you were walking down Main Street, USA. Japan, I remember, was a big department store, really. That's all it was. You would think there'd be a Japanese restaurant, but when I was there, it was mostly a big department store where you could shop. 
Morocco made you feel like you were in the Middle East somewhere. France had a replica of the Eiffel Tower, a couple of French restaurants, a little French bakery. You could get a baguette and coffee if you wanted to. The United Kingdom had a little pub. You could get fish and chips, and it felt like you were walking down a side street in London. And then Canada was Canada. It felt like you were in the Rocky Mountains somewhere. And I was just amazed at how beautiful these pavilions were and how it felt like you were literally traveling the world as you walked from country to country to country. Now, the front part of Epcot, the first thing you see there is that giant globe. I always thought of it as a golf ball. It looked like a golf ball to me. But it's a thing called Spacecraft Earth. And there's actually a ride that goes inside that giant globe. And the ride traces the history of mankind, basically. It's not a roller coaster type ride. It's one of those informational sit on the tram and they show you things ride as you go up and down throughout the globe. Now, the front part of Epcot was also more, I want to say informational. Now, this is stuff that I liked. I like this kind of informational stuff, but not everybody does. People like to get excited about things. They need rides. They need entertainment. That's why they have Test Track now. That's why they have Mission to Mars. They put rides in there to have more people be interested in going to Epcot. But when I was there... They had different pavilions. One was called the Universe of Energy, and it talked about, well, energy, of course. But, I mean, there was a ride sponsored by, of all things, the oil companies. Imagine that, and how we derived fossil fuels from oil and gas deposits. I know it sounds boring. I was interested in it. There was the World of Motion that talked about transportation and vehicles, and I remember they had a display of a vehicle there. I don't remember which vehicle, but it was kind of like a giant car showroom of futuristic vehicles. There was the Living Seas, which was a giant aquarium. They've updated that since then. There was an area called The Land, which, as you might expect, talked about the land. Agriculture and farming and pollution, of course, and how to preserve our environment. Yes, all the boring stuff that kids love to go to amusement parks for. And then there was The Journey into the Imagination, which was a weird little pavilion that was all about the journey into imagination. They had Figment the Dragon, who I don't even know if he still exists because I don't remember seeing him for years and years now. In my more recent trips in the past 10 or 15 years, I don't remember seeing Figment, but I remember Figment when I was first there. And again, another one of those informational walkthroughs, in this case, not a ride, where Figment would escort you throughout various imaginary type adventures in the journey into the imagination. And then they also had a show as part of it, too. Michael Jackson actually did something called Captain EO. It was this big production number that they were trumpeting all over the place in their ads for Disney World. And it was written by George Lucas, directed by Francis Ford Coppola. And I don't remember a single thing about the show except that it existed. You can actually find the movie on YouTube if you're interested in it. But this was a big deal at Disney World back then. And people went just to go see the Captain EO movie because Michael Jackson was huge at the time. I don't remember how long we waited to see it. It obviously isn't memorable because I don't remember a single plot point about it, except that it was in outer space. That's it. That's all I remember. But it was a huge thing. So here's my takeaway from Disney World, my first trip. I remember taking my time going through all of the pavilions and all of the displays and all of the exhibitions and being excited every time I turned around. You've seen me play video games. You know how I get lost in the shinies. I was lost in so many shinies going through Disney World. I just loved being there, man. It was awesome. It was awesome for a number of reasons. It was awesome because it was the first time that I'd planned a vacation for myself, and it worked out really well. It was awesome because it was everything that I thought it was going to be. And it was awesome because it made me feel good about being there. 
It's not often you go on a trip and you just feel good while you're there, the whole time that you're there, and that you enjoy every single minute of being there. It was a great trip. And I fell in love with Disney World at that time. After my first trip to Disney, I wanted to go back, and I wanted to go back as often as I could. But I also like to see other things, so I haven't spent every year at Disney. I know people who go to Disney every year. I'd be burned out going every year. But I went in the 80s, I went in the 90s, I went in the early 2000s, and I enjoyed it every single time. And one of the cool things about Disney is that so many people could go and enjoy themselves, and I saw all different kinds of people from all different walks of life, from all different countries, just going and enjoying the Disney atmosphere. It was awesome, it was fun, it was great, it was enjoyable. And I think that's why I love Disney World so much. You just feel good when you're there, and you have such a good time. The problem with Disney now is that they're pricing themselves so far out of the budget of ordinary people. Now, I didn't remember off the top of my head, but I went to go look it up. And back in the 80s, the price of a ticket was anywhere between 25 and 30 bucks, depending on what year. They've always upped the prices every year, but a day ticket was between 25 and 30 bucks. The passes were a little more, but you got a discount for buying multiple days. And even through the 90s, the day ticket prices didn't really get that much more expensive. You know, they topped out around 45 bucks in the late 90s. A day ticket now is 125 bucks, $125 per person for one day at Disney. Can you imagine taking a family of four to a park and having to spend $500 just to get in the door? Who can afford that? That's insanity, isn't it? It's also sad because kids don't get to experience it. Not every kid anyway. Not every kid comes from a family that can afford $500 to take the family to the park. At 40, 50, 60 bucks, it's at least conceivably doable. At 125 bucks a ticket? That doesn't mean that being at Disney World is still not a fun time or a magical place. It just means that fewer people get to experience it. And as I said, that's a shame. It's just sad. Because I remember, as a 20-something, going to Disney World for the first time, someone who grew up with Disney, someone who loves everything Disney, going there the first time and just enjoying the atmosphere of the place. And the feeling of the place, it's something that I think everybody should experience. And to me, it's just terribly unfortunate that it seems that fewer and fewer people are going to be able to afford that experience. But if you can, if you can, I highly recommend a trip to Disney World. Don't go into hock over it. Don't mortgage the house for it. Save your money for it. Because it's an enjoyable time. You just got to make sure that you really want to spend the time at Disney and spend that kind of money. If you do... I don't think you'll be disappointed. Now that's just my first trip to Disney. The next time I went to Disney, both MGM Studios and the Animal Kingdom Park were both open. I don't even remember what that Animal Kingdom part is called, to be perfectly honest. Is it called Animal Kingdom? It's my least favorite of the new parks. The only reason, in my opinion, to go to the Animal Kingdom is the Everest roller coaster ride. That's worth it. That's a hell of a roller coaster. And don't get me wrong, I don't have anything against animals. I love animals. And I've done all of the rides in that Animal Kingdom park. It's just, it's kind of yawn-inducing for me. I don't enjoy that park. And after the first time that I went there, haven't been back except to ride the Everest ride. But the new park that I love, it was called originally MGM Studios. It's now Hollywood Studios. They have some great stuff there, too. The Tower of Terror, the Rock and Roller Coaster, the Indiana Jones Stunt Show, and, of course, all the Star Wars stuff now. They have some really good stuff at the park. So yeah, there's a lot of reasons to go to Hollywood Studios. And while I enjoy Hollywood Studios and I've been back and on the rides multiple times, 
That first trip, man, that first trip captured my imagination and made me a Disney World fan. But as I said, it's a shame that so many people are being priced out of a cool trip to Disney World. I'm sure it's in part due to the Star Wars world that they've created, and that's fine. They're allowed to put in whatever they want. And as a Star Wars fan, I'm going to go to Disney World and see the Star Wars section at some point. But boy, I'm telling you, at the prices they're charging me, I'm not going to be rushing, that's for sure. I am not rushing to go to Disney World to go check out Star Wars Land. I'll find out when they introduce flex pricing, and I'm going to go when it's the absolute cheapest and the absolute least crowded. Anyway, that's going to do it for this episode of Storytime. Thank you so much for being here. Thanks for listening. Thanks for being part of things. And thank you for your support. Until next time, you guys take care of yourselves. And I'll see you when I see you.